0: Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message from May 2023. For more information on this podcast and our other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from Bixby, Oklahoma. Yes, not in Glenpool this time. I'm up in our games room. Recording this uh, introduction and message. It's going to be a message that I, I preach here rather than a message that I've already preached. In fact, the content of today I shared at Shopfix last month, but of course, that's proprietary propriety, uh, to Shopfix, so uh, we I couldn't bring that. In any case, uh, you know, I only had 15 to 20 minutes a morning in the devotional sessions to uh, unpack what I'm going to be sharing over the next few months with you. First of all, I just want to say May has been our birthday month. Both Bev and I had our birthdays. I turned 77 and I felt directed by the Lord to Psalm 77. And I just wanted to share these verses with you from Psalm 77. I will remember the works of the Lord. This is from verse 11. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have, with your arm, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. And so, you know, as you get older, it's a good. Time to reminisce and remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. And so I really have been doing that this month, just remembering all of His faithfulness to us, to Bev and myself, and to our children and our grandchildren, our family. He's a good God, a wonderful Father, and we just rejoice in Him. The Word. The verse that it particularly highlighted for me for my birthday is Psalm 77, verse 14. You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. And I just had a sense that God is going to show his power. He's going to reveal or declare his strength this year to us, and he's going to do wonders. So this is an exciting year for me and for Bev as well as we anticipate the the wonders of God. We sense that there's so much that is on our horizon, and we are anticipating it, looking forward to it with great joy. So... For the next few months, I am going to be unpacking a concept that the Lord gave me back in 1981. Many of you have heard me tell the story about how back in 1981, Bev and I were living for a season back in South Africa, and um, we used a storeroom at Greenfield's church which had been a Baptist church. My daddy had pastored that. And I went in one day to go and just tidy up the storeroom. And I found a pile of photographs of the previous pastors of that church. And on top was my daddy's picture. And it was all dilapidated. And I picked it up and held it. And I said to myself internally, I'm going to restore daddy's picture. And immediately I heard the Holy Spirit say, that is what I'm doing I'm restoring, I'm going to restore Daddy's picture to you. And I felt directed for the next few years just to read the Gospels again and again. And so I embarked on that wonderful journey. And uh, at the beginning of this year, the Lord said again to me, I want you to go back and read the Gospels again and again. And the reason for that is this. Jesus said, to Philip when Philip said, show us the Father and it will suffice us. Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long and yet you don't recognize this? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And along with that, I want to point you to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, where the Bible says that he is the express image of his person. And the image there is the word character in Greek, from which we get our English word character. And so Jesus expresses to us the character of God. If you want to find out the characteristics of God, you can't go to the law. You have to look at Jesus. Jesus is the character of God. I love Romans 1, 17, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. If you want to know about the righteousness of God, you can't go back to the Old Testament law. You have to go to the gospel because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. In the same way, Jesus reveals to us the true character of the Father. And so that's the backdrop. I'm going to do a few messages on restoring daddy's picture. And we're just going to look at the Gospels and we're going to unveil how Jesus reveals the father to us. But I want to preface all of our remarks by reading Psalm 115. Uh, I'm going to read the first some verses, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, But to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet have they, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. And that verse 8 of Psalm 117 is the foundation of what I'm going to be getting at through these next few months. And that is this that your life is a reflection of your perception of who God is. Just as the people who make the idols, he said, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. And so if your life is not working well, don't adjust your life. Adjust your revelation of who God is, because your life is a reflection of your concept of who God is. And so that's what is so important to me Why Jesus comes to reveal what God is like so that we can have a true knowledge of God, not a distorted knowledge of God that has come through the law and then has been twisted through those interpreters, the scribes and the Pharisees who interpreted the law and made it into such a burdensome, onerous thing that Jesus came against when he was on this earth. But Jesus reveals to us the character of the Father. So that's our foundational starting point. You are a reflection of your concept of who God is. And if your concept of who God is differs in any way from the God who Jesus revealed to us, then your concept of God is wrong. It's idolatrous. It's an idol. It's the manufacturing of men's hands, because since Jesus has come, God has left us in no doubt as to his true character. You cannot go past Jesus to discover who God is. You see him revealed in Jesus, because Jesus is the exact image of his person, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. So... I want to go back to an Old Testament verse, and uh, th- this, uh, th- this is a, a very powerful verse in our family. When my sister Joy, who was 26 at the time, was killed in a car accident, I came to our parents' home. We'd got the news at a... Uh, a gathering off to church one Sunday evening. We were in somebody's home for what we called a sing song and having tea and coffee and cakes and so on. And we got the news that Joy had been killed. And I was there with Colin Peckham, who at that time was uh, friends with Joy. And um, we went to my f- parents' home in Sunnichport on the south coast of Natal, as it was then, KwaZulu-Natal now. And as we walked in and told them the news, my father burst out in tears and my mother cried, obviously. But my father made the statement. He said, the Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he was quoting from Job because Job, in the same anguish that my father had, of hearing that all of his children had been killed, Job, trying to make head or tail of the situation, made that statement, The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in chapter 2, when his wife said, Why don't you just curse God and, and die? And he made this statement then, Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord, and shall we not also receive evil? And those two verses have created such problems for so many in the body of Christ because it's in the Bible, right? And so it must be truth, right? No, it isn't. We know from the revelation of Job's book, and remember that Job was probably a contemporary of Abraham, and the book of Job is the oldest book that we have that was in the Bible. It was written way before, and as far as we know, Job had no covenant with God as Abraham had. And so he was groping in his knowledge of and understanding of God, and so as he tried to make head or tail of the tremendous loss that he had gone through, he saw. He, he acknowledged the sovereignty of God. He said, the Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But I want to submit to you that in the light of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, you cannot sustain the fact that God gives and God takes away. In fact, the same word where he says, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and shall we not receive evil, that same word is used in Psalm 23 and verse 3. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. So where God is evil cannot coexist i will fear no evil for thou art with me and so god does not send evil into our lives the tragedy is as i've said so often we have a distorted view of the sovereignty of god whereby god is looked upon as being in total control of everything he is not in control of everything he created us and he gave us the freedom to make choices and as a result of that, that man has made some bad choices that have resulted in great hurt pain anguish wars and all kinds of negative things in the earth and to blame god for the negative things in the earth is to totally distort his character and contradict what jesus came to reveal why would jesus according to peter in acts 10:38 Listen to this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Where God is, only good happens. You see, we've got to be so careful that we don't accuse God of stuff that he is not responsible for, that he is not guilty of in the slightest. He is a good God and he only does good. And uh, we'll we'll meditate on that as we go through the series on restoring daddy's picture. But I, I just want to contradict that as a foundational truth of the scriptures that the Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God does not take away. Jesus made it very, very clear in John 10. The thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And we know that from Job, the one who stole from him, the one who wreaked havoc in his life, was not God, but was Satan. And so don't accuse God of it. It was Satan who did it. Okay? And so he is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan, not God. God is, as John says in John chapter 5. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so he has given to the son to give life to whomever he will. God is in the resurrection and restoration of life business. He's not in the taking away of life. Death is not a blessing from God. It's still a result of Adam's a curse and praise God we are redeemed even in the midst of death but so often we say well God took him no God didn't take him he died because it is appointed unto man wants to die every human will die okay except those who are alive at the return of Christ but otherwise death is part of our existence on this earth and don't blame God for that It's blame Adam. But at the same time, we have can have resurrection life in us so that though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, as we come to the first aspect of what I want to reveal of the father through what Jesus reveals, I want to give you four numbers. 150. 153, hundred and fifty three, twelve and seven. OK, log that away in your mind, because those are very significant numbers in the, the life of Jesus and in the way he reveals the father. OK, so where do they come from? They come from this. And I, I was in the shower and I was meditating on this. Passage of this this concept before we went to shop fix, and as I was in the shower, I was reminded of this little chorus that we learnt as a kid. Let your nets down, the Saviour said. Down, 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 down. Pull your nets up, the Saviour said. Up, 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 up. How many fishes now do you see? One hundred and fifty and three. So, the 153 come from the hall that we're going to look at after a little bit in John 21, where Peter goes fishing, and that's the number of fish that he pulls up. But let's backtrack to 150. 150 is at the first sign that Jesus performed. Remember that John says that every miracle that he quotes or he tells in his epistle, Of what Jesus did, every one of them was a sign. This beginning of signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. So what he did in John chapter 2, in turning the water into wine, was a sign. And there Jesus made the the 150 gallons, more or less, of the best wine. And what sign was that? It was a sign that God is a magnanimous, generous, uh, lavish God. He didn't need to make as much wine as that because this was near the end of the feast. They had already used up all the wine when they ran out of wine. And Jesus makes such an abundant provision that was more, much more than enough. Uh, What I want to break right away is the concept that God will just eke out a, a little bit to you, a little bit at a time so that you don't become, you, you know, whatever. He, he's an absolutely generous God. And yet we've had this concept that God won't give us too much because we couldn't handle it. Well, I tell you what, 150 gallons of wine would last for a long, long time for the the owner of the house who was throwing that wedding party. It was a sign of who God really is against the backdrop of the stinginess of religion, the stinginess of the scribes and the Pharisees who were greedy, but who were withholding. Jesus said, you've taken away the keys of the kingdom from other people. You won't enter in, but you won't allow anyone else to enter in. They wouldn't let others discover the greatness of God, the generosity of God, the kindness of God. Because of their small mindedness, their small spiritedness, their small heartedness. So 150 gallons of wine. Where does the 12 come from? Well, that's the feeding of the 5,000. You'll remember that Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, uh, got his disciples to get the people to sit down in companies, and he looked up to heaven, blessed the bread, and began to break over to the disciples to distribute to the people. And when they had finished feeding the 5,000, that's men besides women and children, and so say. There was one man, one woman, and one child for each. I'm sure there were many more than that, but at least 15,000 Jesus fed on that occasion with five loaves and two fish. And when it was over, the Bible says they, had all, they all ate and were filled. Nobody was lacking and they collected the baskets of leftovers, and there were 12 baskets of leftovers. He didn't just make enough to feed them, and they came to the end, and there was nothing left. He made a super abundance. The seven comes from the next feeding, the feeding of the 4,000 in uh, one chapter later, where Jesus feeds the 4,000. And everyone, the Bible, again, the Bible says they all ate and were filled. And he said to the disciples, pick up the remnants. And they picked up the remnants. And the Bible says they picked up seven large baskets full. So 12, seven, and then 153. 153 fish. Let me paint the picture for you. Peter, distraught after his failure to fulfill his promise to Jesus that although everyone else forsake him, he wouldn't forsake him. And Peter had denied him just as Jesus had predicted. He said, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when Peter heard the cock crow the second time, he had just denied knowing Jesus with oaths and curses. And the Bible said he went out and wept bitterly. Now, we do know that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter, but his appearances were sort of sporadic. There was no consistency. He would appear to one, to the other, and so on. And so one day, Peter says to those who were with him, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, James, and John, and it says there were two others, so there's six Six of them, is it? Uh, Peter, uh, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of them that go fishing. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. So they get into a boat and they cast out and they go and they fish all night and they catch nothing. So in the morning, they're coming towards the shore and they see somebody on the seashore. And at first, nobody recognizes them. And the person on the seashore says, children, have you caught any fish? And they say nothing. And he says, let down your net on the other side of the boat. And the Bible says when they let down their net, they enclose this great draft of large fish. And immediately John recognized and he said, it is the Lord. And the Bible says Peter jumps in the water and he wades off, swims off to shore to Jesus. And there Jesus has got fish and bread ready for them and provides breakfast for seven it's uh you know the 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 publishing company that they formed as part of improv uh, published has republished our book the birthright and the the company is the name of the company is b for seven breakfast for seven based on that scene on the seashore And Jesus doesn't bring any recrimination against Peter, doesn't judge, doesn't doesn't remind Peter of his failure. He just lavishly provides breakfast for seven there. And not only that, but they enclose this catch of large fish, 153. So the first sign in Cana of Galilee is 150 gallons of wine. The last sign on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, 153 large fish. Do you think God's trying to get something across to us? Do you think he's trying to reveal to us that he's in a God of abundance, that he is a lavish God? Can I quote a few verses of scripture to you? Romans 8:32. He who spared not his own son. But delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If he didn't withhold Jesus from us, but generously gave his son for the salvation of the world, why, having given us his son, would he withhold anything else from us? He's not a withholding God. He's not a cheap God. He's a generous God. He's a lavish God who wants to pour out his abundance on you to demonstrate his nature and his character in your life. We have to adjust our belief system to bring it into line. If if you've got a poor picture of God, then your God is an idol. He's, He's got hands, but he doesn't work. He's got feet, but he doesn't move. He's got ears but he doesn't hear. See in the way some of us pray, you would think your God is dull of hearing because we keep praying the same prayer over and over and over and over again lucky like he didn't hear the first time. And we go to the the words of Jesus when he was teaching under the old covenant, ask and keep on asking and you shall receive. But what does the new covenant say? Your father loves you. You don't have to ask and keep on asking. You, you pray by the Holy Spirit and believe that you receive, you shall have whatever you ask. That's the new covenant that he introduced to his disciples on the night before his death. People, we've got to come into this revelation of who God really is. Here's the problem. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 says this. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. If you're having a problem in knowing the things that are freely given to you of God, it's because of the spirit of the world. The spirit of tradition, uh, cultural spirits, particularly religious spirits. Religious spirits have have cursed the body of Christ for centuries, for centuries since the early days of the in Roman Catholicism, where people took vows of celibacy and vows of poverty. And we've been cursed from that point on, that the church has been suspicious of abundance, suspicious of wealth. And so the spirit of the world has crept into our understanding theologically and has distorted and warped the picture of the father until we do not believe that he is as generous as Jesus portrayed him to be. We can't conceive of the 150 gallons of wine. We can't conceive of 12 baskets left over. Seven baskets left over and 153 large fish. Who needed 150 gallons of wine? Who needed the 12 baskets full of bread left over? Who needed the, the, the seven large baskets left over? Who needed 153 fish? But God was demonstrating these signs, folk's signs signs, signs signifying the generosity of the Father, the greatness of His love for us, His lavishness in pouring out His abundance upon us. Listen to another verse, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 7, where Paul says to Timothy, bid those who are rich in this age. And he doesn't say, tell them to sell everything and give it to the poor. He says, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God listen who gives us richly all things to enjoy now under the new covenant he's not saying sell all and give it to the poor he's saying if you've got an abundance listen it's Don't put your trust in those uncertain riches, but put your trust in the living God. In other words, the source of riches. And then he says... Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. You can't be rich in good works if you're poor. I've said this before. It's impossible to be a blessing to all the families of the earth while you're on a steady diet of manna. God wants you to bring you into the promised land of abundance, a land that flows with milk and honey, so that you can be a blessing to the families of the earth. And so he says to the rich, do good having an abundance and being rich in good deeds. That's what the instruction of the new covenant is in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. We have to change our concept of who God is. Now, I want to give you another fundamental truth that Jesus taught in the parable of the talents and of the pounds. He, In the the, the different parables, he gives pounds and in the others, he, he gives uh, The talents to his servants, and he says, Occupy till I come. And we know that two of the servants took what they had and they doubled what they had. But the one servant took what he had and he hid it because his perception of the master, as he told the master, he says, I knew. This is your his concept of the master, that you are an austere man. And the word austere there is hard, like ground, hard ground, because it's, it's all a, a lake bed that is dried up. It's just hard, cracked ground. That's the picture that he's painting. He said, I knew you were a hard man who gathers where he has not scattered, who reaps where he has not sown. Is that true? No, because the master said to him, you should have taken what I gave you and put it in the bank. That in my coming, I would have received my own with interest. So his perception of the master was totally wrong. But here's the critical thing. When the master said, said this to him, he said, out of your own mouth, you will, I will judge you. He was judged by his own concept of who the master was. See, we see from the parable that what the master had given him had the power of increase, the power of multiplication within it. All he had to do was put it in the right bank, put it in the right place, and it would have increased. He would have traded with it. And everything that God has given to us has the power of increase in it. Nothing has decreased decline in it it has increase increase you've got to get hold of that word our god is a god of increase and so the servant believed that his master was tight his master was hard, that he gathered what he had not scattered and he reaped what he had not sown. And that is not true of our father. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. And with that rich provision, we are able to be a blessing to others. And when, what we know from Second Corinthians 9, 8, that that it brings increase increase as you sow bountifully you reap bountifully as you sow joyfully you're going to receive an abundant harvest God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having a sufficiency in all things might abound unto every good work Um, at the shop fix there was a guy who was teaching at ShopFix from Arc Financial in Austin, Texas, and he came to me and he said, what is your definition of wealth? And I said, my definition of wealth is 1 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you, having all sufficiency in all things, might abound unto every good work. That to me is wealth, that you have enough to abound, to overflow unto every good work. A person like that is wealthy when you have sufficient. And listen, people, that's what God's will is for you. And if you feel like, well, I just don't have the smarts and I don't have the ability to relax. He said God is able to make all grace abound toward you. It's a grace gift that He wants to give you the ability to increase and to abound unto every good work. We must adjust our concept of God because otherwise... We are being condemned. You know, I used to, I've said some dumb things through my life. And one of the dumb things that I kept repeating was God won't make me rich because he knows I couldn't handle wealth. And boy, he had to rebuke me. One day he said, look at Abraham, look at Abraham. And I was reading in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham dwelt in tents. Although he was the richest man alive because he had a, a vision of the city that was not yet time to be built a city to come by faith he dwelt in tents he didn't build a city although he could afford to but he dwelt in tents because he knew this was temporary and god said when you get wealth gained through the covenant promises brings with it the ability to manage it wealth gained through the world system has the curse within it. And so he said, don't ever say those words again, because what I give you as a fulfillment of my covenant of blessing with you, I give you the ability to manage. And obviously there's a, there's a cooperation there and I began to study back in t- 2001. Wealth management, because I knew God wanted to entrust wealth to us, that we could be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so, you know, ignorance is not bliss. He wants you to learn how to manage resources for the kingdom and not squander them and not just, uh, you know, blow them or feel guilty. Uh, This is a poverty spirit will make you do this. You'll feel so guilty that you'll give just because you don't feel deserving of the wealth. And that is a wrong motivation. We've got to be led by the Spirit. So what you believe about God and what comes out of your mouth that defines or expresses your concept of who God is, is going to determine what you receive according to your faith be it unto you. If you believe God is hard, a hard taskmaster. Guess what? You're putting him in a box. He can't be anything more to you than that. But if you believe he's a generous God, and you look at Jesus, and you look at these numbers, 150. 12, 7, and 153. And you start saying, God, thank you. You're the God of the 150 gallons of wine. You're the God of 12 baskets full of leftovers. You're the God of seven large baskets of leftovers. You're the God of 153 fish. I'm believing you for an abundance, a super abundance, not because I'm deserving of it, but because you want to display your glory. That's what John said in John 2, this beginning of signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. God wants to manifest his glory to you in the abundance of his provision to you. Now, I want to go back to Psalm 100. And 17. And there's a verse that I want to end, end up with. May the Lord, this is verse 14. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. <laughs> Oh, isn't that wonderful? The word there, give you increase, is the word to add. May the Lord add to you more and more, you and your children. God is a God of addition. He's not a God of subtraction. He doesn't take away, he adds. Listen, I'm going to read some more verses from Psalm 115. O Israel, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. He has given the earth to the children of men and the earth is able to produce an abundance through the the whole thing of seed time and harvest. And God gave it as a gift to Adam and Eve in the garden and it is our possession Under the new covenant, Jesus has redeemed and restored to us. And so it's time for us to expand our vision and expand our capacity to receive and recognize that God is wanting to add, 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 add. May the Lord add to you, you more and more, you and your children believe for it. He does, they said earlier in the chapter, about our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And the passage reveals what he pleases. He pleases to bless us, his people. He blesses, he pleases to give us increase. He pleases to give the earth to the children of men. And so we can receive from the earth all the abundance that he has placed within the earth to produce on our behalf. Wow. This is an amazing word. So the first aspect of the nature and the character of God that Jesus reveals, characteristic of God, is his abundant generosity. Now, I know I did a whole series on on generosity and the last series on having the prosperous soul. This just follows on with this, but I believe this is a passion in the heart of the Father because what why would Jesus, the first sign that he performs is to make 150 gallons of the best wine, and the last sign that he performs is 153 fish. From beginning to end, from beginning to end, Jesus demonstrates the kindness, the generosity, the lavishness of God, the superabundance of God's goodness. And so I pray you'll get hold of this in your spirit and start to believe for this. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for the revelation of Daddy's picture in Jesus. Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us to try and figure out on our own, like Job, what was going, what is going on in our lives. We know that you give and you don't take away. Satan stole from Job. And so, Lord, we do not believe and we will not for a moment confess that the Lord hath taken away. that Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord? Or shall we not receive evil? No, evil does not come from you. Evil does not come from you. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for thou art with me. Where you are, there is no evil. And Lord, we want to change our inner belief system. We want to change the confession of our mouth so that we come into line with the characteristic of God revealed by Jesus, that God is a God of abundance, that he's not just enough. He's more than enough. He's more than enough. He's more than enough. He provides more than enough. So we can abound unto every good work, not just merely eke out an existence, but we can abound unto every good work. That is your will and purpose for us. So, Lord, I speak that blessing on your people who listen to this message today, that the Holy Spirit will begin to transform our inner picture of daddy from a stingy, tight God who we have to force anything out of by constant praying and begging and pleading, take away that image and give us a revelation of Jesus just casually in the midst of the wedding feast of Cain of Galilee, and they run out of wine. And Mary says to the disciples, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. And when they listened to Jesus and did what he said, there was a superabundance 150 gallons of the best wine. Lord, this month we're going to walk in your abundance. This month we're going to enjoy a superabundance. Hear this, please. I believe God wants to do this in your life, wants to bring this into your life and into your children. May the Lord add to you, increase you, give you increase more and more, you and your children. We receive it, Lord. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the conclusion of this message. Thank you for listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com.